and just want to encourage you as a church. I want to deal tonight with a two priceless gifts. Two priceless gifts. And um, I want to tell you how this message came about. Messages come about in different ways. But on Tuesday morning of this week, uh, just a couple days ago, I was having my personal time with God. By the way, I hope you've had some personal time with God this week. I hope that this isn't your only time with God in church, but that you've had some personal time with God. And Tuesday morning, uh, in my devotional Bible that sits by my chair, I pulled out a sheet in the front of my devotional Bible, and it says 100 promises of God. And every once in a while I use that just to remind myself of the promises of God. And I was reading through that and I had looked at a couple promises and I had my head bowed and taken time to thank God for those promises that I had read. And then the third promise that I looked at dealt with what I'm preaching tonight. And as I thought on that promise, the Holy Spirit began to really use that promise in my own heart and began to think about those gifts that God has given to me, and in fact, he gives to me on a daily basis. And uh, I thought, you know, that is worthy of sharing with my family. So most of you know Brandon and Valerie, they're here, my son and my daughter-in-law. And so I shot them a text of this, and I shot my two daughters a text of this, my wife, and uh, just sent a family text out to share some thoughts about this. And then I couldn't get away from meditating on it, and then I had talked to Pastor Batrell about coming down here, and I thought, boy, in the day and age in which we're living, and so many things swirling in our world today, I thought that this would be an appropriate subject to bring to you tonight, the two priceless gifts in Scripture. And um, I think that these priceless gifts that I'm going to deal with are mentioned 18 different times together in our New Testament. But they're mentioned in the form of a greeting, almost like when we walk up to one another and we say, hey, how are you doing today? And that's a greeting. We probably don't even hardly think about those words when somebody else says those because we hear those words so often or words similar to that. And the two priceless gifts I'm dealing with tonight are words that Paul used in the opening uh, greeting of his letters to the churches. In fact, he did it in Romans, and he did it in Galatians, and he did it in Ephesians, and he did it in Philippians, and he did it in Colossians, and he did it in 1 Thessalonians, and he did it in 1 and 2 Corinthians. All the letters have these two priceless gifts that I'm going to introduce to you tonight. Two priceless gifts. Franklin Roosevelt was greeting guests at the White House one evening. As they came through the reception line, he disliked this ritual, however, since everyone always spoke their rehearsed lines without actually listening to what was said. So he was feeling mischievous one night, and uh, to test others as to whether or not they were really listening in this receiving line in the White House, he shook hands with each person, and FDR said, instead of saying whatever the ritualistic lines were that people were greeting one another with, he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. As expected, his guests still spoke their prepared greetings without hearing what he'd said. Until finally, a South American diplomat answered, well, I'm sure she had it coming to her. <laughs> Roosevelt loved it from the fact that somebody was listening. 
Could it be when we read the epistles to the churches that we read these words often and don't take time to think about them? Either they were written just as something to fill the introduction of our epistles or they were written with great meaning for believers. I believe that you would agree that there's nothing that's written in the scriptures that's just filler. All of it has purpose. Every word is inspired by God. And so what we're looking at tonight in these two words, these two priceless gifts, I think are vital words for all of us. Do you want to know the two priceless gifts yet? Would you like to know what I'm talking about? We're getting there. We're getting there. Just stick with me, all right? Um, I love these words because these words are uniquely Christian. It is what separates Christianity from all other religions, these two words that I'm going to be dealing with. Paul opened the letter to the Christians, or the letters in the New Testament to the Christians, because he understood that these two words that we're going to deal with tonight are foundational for our Christian lives. And to leave them out would be to get the cart before the horse in the rest of what Paul would say in the epistles. And so he started every epistle with these two words. The words are grace and peace. Grace and peace. Did you know that grace and peace are offered to all of mankind? You understand that grace is not something that God offers to an individual select few. But the Bible says that God's grace has appeared to all of mankind. In Titus chapter 2, it brings that out. I suggest that all of mankind would consciously or unconsciously long to have, if they knew and understood what it meant, they would long to have grace and peace. I don't know if you've watched any of the news this week, but there's a lot of very wicked things happening in our world. Our world's in turmoil. Whether you're dealing with Russia and Ukraine or you're dealing with Israel and Hamas and Lebanon and Syria or you're dealing up in Turkey and Armenia, our world's got problems all over the place. No peace. No peace. No grace. Today and tonight I want to deal with the two priceless gifts by answering, first of all, what is grace? What is grace? What is God's grace? Grace refers to God's kindness toward fallen man. God is kind to fallen man. That is grace. Grace, when we're talking about grace, it's talking about kindness that is undeserved. It is unmerited favor, meaning that we can't earn grace. Nobody earns grace. It is God's gift that he gives to man. It's generous, it's free, it's totally unexpected, it's undeserved. Grace is God giving the greatest treasure to the least deserving. 
And that's all of us. None of us are deserving. Grace, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or in other words, when somebody's saved, they're justified, they're declared righteous by a holy, righteous judge, and that's done freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so in these two priceless gifts, I want you to see the giver of grace and peace tonight. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Grace comes from God. Very simple point as we start into the message tonight. But grace comes from God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10. But the God of all grace, the God that has unlimited favor and kindness towards fallen creatures. He's the author of it. He's the disperser of or distributor of grace. God is the one that puts grace into motion. He channels grace to mankind. Now, think with me tonight. How did he make grace available to you and me? Those that are saved tonight, how has grace been made available to you and me? Primarily through his son. Primarily through his son. Uh, I want you to look at a verse with me tonight in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We see that God is the giver of grace and then we see grace and peace that is for sinners. For sinners. You know, thankfully, in our society today, we see manifestations of God's grace. For instance, we see that in the love of parents and grandparents. How they are kind to their children and their grandchildren. We see that in the faithfulness of marriage. I have a man in my church whose wife has dementia and is in stage number, I think, five or six. And for the last three years, that man has went down and visited his wife every day. And she doesn't know who he is most days. But you know what? He made a vow. He made a vow to be faithful for better or worse, to love her in sickness and in health. And we see that. We see grace in that. We see grace in the heart of a good friend who maybe knows you very well and loves you in spite of your faults. Grace. We see it in the unexpected kindness of a teacher who spares the student from failure in giving them maybe a grade that they don't deserve at times. And we see grace and peace extended towards sinners. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse number 4. The Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. You know, if you're a born-again believer tonight, 
That is, you've come to a realization in your life that you're dead spiritually, you're lost in your sins, there's this burden of sin that bears down upon you and sin has to be judged, but God sent his son Jesus Christ in his mercy to die for your sin and to rise again from the dead. And you receive by faith God's grace through his son Jesus Christ, for by grace are ye saved. My friend, it's one of the reasons why we cannot preach a work salvation. It's one of the reasons why when we're explaining the gospel to somebody, they have to come to the understanding that this, there's nothing that you can add to the work of Christ for salvation. For his death, burial, and resurrection is the complete work that's finished, and that's grace. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve what comes with salvation but that's all grace. In fact, the Bible says here that in the ages to come, not only are you saved by grace, but in the ages to come, the years to come in your life, into eternity, the Bible says here that he will show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Think of his kindness uh, that's manifested to us, that's expressed to us today in our daily benefits that we receive from the Lord. And then one day think of us in heaven where every day he pours out the exceeding riches of his grace toward us. God's the giver of grace. We're saved by grace. In verse number eight, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. You know, grace when it comes to the sinner, needs to be contrasted with wrath. Sin is your rebellion and my rebellion against the Lord. We've all been there. We all are partakers of that. Go back to the first Passover in the Old Testament. Remember that first Passover where God brought judgment upon Egypt and every firstborn of those people in Egypt would be slain. But God, in his grace towards Israel, said, if you slay the animal and you put the blood on the doorpost, what did he say? But the death angel would pass over you. Wrath, God's wrath being expressed in the taking of the firstborn but God's grace being expressed in the blood on the doorpost. People look back, well, why, did he have, why did he have that done? Well, in the New Testament, it would be the shedding of the blood of the sinless lamb that would happen once for all that when somebody put their faith in Jesus Christ, no longer are they an object of God's wrath, that God's wrath is being stored up until the day of judgment, according to Romans chapter two. But guess what? We would be the objects of his grace. We would be forgiven. You see, it's interesting that in these passages of scripture at the beginning of these uh, letters that he says, grace and peace be unto you. See, We've been saved by grace, that's past tense. 
If you're saved tonight, there was a day, there was a moment in time, there was a place that you understood the lights turned on and God showed you the glorious light of the gospel and you received it by faith and you were gloriously saved by faith through grace. And then there's peace that follows that. See, you can't get peace without grace. Paul didn't make any mistake when he wrote grace and peace. He didn't write peace and then grace. Peace comes as a result of grace in our lives. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We've been saved by grace, and because we're saved by grace, we are at peace with God. Romans chapter 5 is a beautiful picture of this. Look at verses 1 and 2. These two priceless gifts, you can't put a price on these gifts. You couldn't give a million dollars for these gifts. It wouldn't be enough. They're priceless when it comes to our soul. Romans chapter 5 verse number 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have had access by faith into this what? Grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen, I don't know the audience that I'm speaking to here or by way of live stream tonight. I do know that this, that sin abounds in people's lives. I was reading in Psalm 83 this week and Asaph the psalmist is writing and he's praying for Israel and he's praying for those that want to do Israel in. And he says, Lord, I pray that you will confound them and bring them to shame that they may seek thy name. I thought of some of the horrible things that have come across the news channels over the last few days and I thought, you know what? Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The truth is, if we take it into our world in which we live in tonight, somebody that would have beheaded a baby over in Israel this week, truly, if they got their eyes on the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, and they cried out to God, and they said, God, I realize I've sinned against you, and I see your son Jesus Christ died for my sin. Would you please save me and forgive me of my sin? You know, the Bible says in John 6, 35, that him, that him that cometh to Christ, he will no wise cast out. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. My friend, that's a priceless gift. And with it comes peace. See, most of our world today wants peace and security. That's what people are hungering for. Peace and security. Our world is full of war and insecurity, the very opposite of what people are searching for. Just give me peace. Just give me security. Economically, our world is unstable. Politically, there's great unrest. But I want you to know tonight, God offers something far better and more eternal and more reliable than what the world could offer in peace and security, he offers grace and his peace. You see, what is peace? Many times we would define peace as the absence of war. 
But peace is being in a right relationship with God and reconciled back to God and having a confidence that no matter what is happening in this world, my God is in charge. I can rest in that truth that my God is in charge. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, because the peace that the world gives cannot compare to the peace that Christ gives. His peace is eternal. I can wake up every day and know that I'm reconciled with God. I have a relationship with the Almighty One, the one that's in control of all things in this universe. In John 16, verse 33, says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. If you're a believer tonight, you have two priceless gifts that nobody else can give you. Grace and peace. What comes through grace, preacher? How about forgiveness? Forgiveness. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians chapter one, verse number seven. Thank God that God forgives. You know, if God could not forgive, we could not, no one could go to heaven. All of us would go to hell. But God is a forgiving God in his grace. He offers us victory according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He offers us eternal life. I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. He offers us the Holy Spirit. Therefore, saints, you can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So there's grace and peace for sinners. Last part of the message I give to you here is grace, peace, and mercy for saints. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I understand, preacher. I understand that we're saved by grace. I understand that it's God's undeserved uh, favor that he bestows upon us through the person of Jesus Christ. I understand there's peace that comes as a result of that. I'm thankful for salvation, but what does that mean to me as a believer in my everyday life? We're going to answer that question briefly tonight in the last portion of the time that we have together. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, here it is, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he's dealing with the term saint here. He's dealing with those that have trusted Christ as Savior. The word saint has been hijacked in our society over the years. There's a very biblical meaning to saint. It's dealing with somebody that's saved, number one. And number two, it has the idea of somebody that's been set apart unto the Lord. And so that's who he's writing to. He's writing to saved people that have been set apart unto the Lord. And he says, grace and peace be unto you. Now question, have they not already experienced grace and peace at salvation? Answer, yes. Yes, the moment you're saved, you're saved by grace. You have peace with God like we talked about in Romans chapter 5. So what's he talking about? He's talking to believers, saints that are set apart from what? From this world, right? One writer I was reading said this, it's like a scuba diver. Scuba diver, he exists in an alien environment because he possesses special equipment. In this case, 
the indwelling Spirit of God. Brethren, tonight, we're saints. If you're saved, we're saints. That means we've been saved. That means we've been sanctified. We've been set apart from this world. But we're in the world, aren't we? But we have divine equipment. We have the Holy Spirit. We have grace and peace that we can live with each and every day of our lives. That's what he's saying. And so, grace for the believer is something that we need daily. We need hourly. We need moment by moment. We need God's grace. Grace for the believer means receiving the goodness of God in our lives every day. Now what does the devil want to do to you but paint God out to be something that he's not? When every day God is a good God. You say, preacher, something bad came into my life this week. God's still a good God. Doesn't change the character of God. God is known for his grace. Grace is God's goodness and his kindness to people who are undeserving. That's all of us. And so grace on a daily basis is me receiving the goodness of God. Preacher, what if I don't receive the goodness of God? What if I don't look at God like that? Then we get into Hebrews chapter 12. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You understand that we need grace on a daily basis and to receive God's grace and God's goodness in our lives and to see God's goodness. Otherwise, we can become bitter believers. That's not where God wants us to live. And so this grace is, is vital in our lives. Grace gives us the ability and enablement every day, moment by moment, to do what we should do. Wait, who's the giver of grace? God. Why does he give grace? To show his goodness. Why does he give grace to the believer? But to give us the ability to do what we should be doing on a daily basis. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tonight. Two priceless gifts. Grace and peace. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 7 is talking about giving. Verse number 8 God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Wow. God is able to make all grace abound, put your name in there, to you. That the Bible says you would have sufficiency, you would have ability in all things that you could abound to every good work that you have opportunity to do. What's the enabler, preacher? What's the energy behind that work? It is grace from God. It is God's grace that he gives to us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It is grace that builds us. You say, preacher, then what is peace? For the believer. When Paul speaks of peace, he's not speaking of a condition in which there's an absence of war. 
But he speaks of the confidence we can enjoy because we are not control, in control of our world, but God is. That's peace. Let's illustrate. You were stopped in your BMW for going 60 miles an hour in a school zone. Nobody has to confess tonight. And that monthly payment on that BMW is draining your wallet. That ticket comes in at about $179 and you don't have it to pay. You appear before the judge with nothing to say for, for yourself other than, yes, I was going faster than I should in a school zone. He hears that admission and to your surprise, the judge cancels your fine. That's mercy. You leave at peace with the judge because there's no follow-up court case. The judge comes to you and says, between me and you, you're all clear. That's peace. You go to your bank to pay the next monthly payment on that BMW, you're at about $28,762 on it. And they say, well, we don't know what happened, but there's no bill here. Like somebody paid, says judge, fill in the blank, paid the debt that you owed on the car. That's mercy, that's peace, and that's grace. And my friend, he extends that to us as believers, grace and peace. Last point tonight is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Not only can we have grace and peace on a daily basis, but we can have it multiplied. What the Bible's saying here is that God, can you get this, Christian? It'd be an encouragement to you tonight. God has new measures of grace and peace available to you on a daily basis. When Paul was writing to these churches, grace and peace be unto you. In other words, it's going to be on its way. And then Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, and he says in verse number uh, 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if your life is like mine tonight. I assume that it is. My life may look like this. One moment I'm carried by a wave of grace into a harbor of peace during my day. An hour later, I get a phone call that capsizes my soul. All of a sudden, I'm troubled. All of a sudden, I've lost peace, so to speak, within. All of a sudden, anxiety and worry and trouble floods my soul. <clears throat> 
That's when I need grace and peace multiplied. Because I need God to bring me back into that settled and calm soul before the Lord. Bible says here in verse number two, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. I like how someone defined grace and peace multiplied. It is the overflow of status. That's my, who I am. That's my position. It is the overflow of my position in Christ that is in serenity, in strength, and in sweetness with the Lord. Grace and peace is the overflow of my position in Christ to where I'm experiencing the serenity, the inner calmness, the peace, the overflowing peace, and the strength and the sweetness of my relationship with the Lord. Hmm. You say, preacher, then how does that happen? Second Peter one gives us the little entry door to that great blessing. And that entry door is through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Can I say this tonight? The more your thinking is shaped and saturated by the words of the Lord Jesus, the more grace and peace will be multiplied in your life on a daily basis. See, God always has more grace and peace for you and I to experience. It's interesting, in Paul's epistles, Paul, when he wrote the epistles, started out every letter with grace and peace unto you. In Ephesians chapter 1, he starts out in verse number 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends every epistle with grace be with them all. Grace to you at the beginning of the epistle. Grace with you at the end of the epistle. Why did, that, why did Paul have that pattern, unwavering pattern, in the epistles that he wrote? because he knew the people needed grace and peace. It's foundational. It's part of the relationship with God. And what he was saying is this, what I've written, what I've written to you in this book, which has directed them to a knowledge of God and a knowledge of Christ, if they would give themselves to the study and the reading and the meditation and the saturation of those words, they would leave reading the scriptures with grace and peace. And my friends, so it is with you. Do you find your life like this when it comes to grace and peace? Yeah. If we're all honest, that would be true of all of us at times. Right? What's going to help me, preacher? What's going to help me to have grace and peace multiplied, abundant grace and peace from the Lord? A knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you develop in knowledge, and where does that happen? It happens right here, doesn't it? As you get in the book, you spend time in the book, what you're going to see 
is God's grace and peace be multiplied in your life. Can I share how it works when I teach people on this? At first they come in and boy, they're, they're distraught. I mean, they're just, some, some are in depression, some are in anxiety, some are, some are troubled with, with just burdens of family and future and burdens in our society and job burdens and, and they're just, <clears throat> they're heavy. There's a spirit of heaviness that they deal with. And then we work with them in growing in the knowledge of Christ. And you know what? It changes. They have less and less time where they're heavy. And they have more and more time where they experience God's grace and peace multiplied. And my friend, what God wrote, he didn't write for a select few. He didn't write for the rich. He didn't write for the elite. He wrote for the average believer. You can have what God's talking about in the passage tonight. Paul and Peter never assumed your present experience of grace and peace should never be increased. No, in fact, they wrote so that you would know it could be increased. I close with this song tonight. All of grace is my story. All the way from earth to glory. Since by grace he lifted me from sin and woe. Living grace he has extended. As on him my heart depended. He'll give new grace when it's my time to go. Grace not yet discovered. Grace not yet uncovered. Grace from his bountiful store. Grace to cross the river, grace to face forever. But there'll be new grace I've not needed before. And you know what? For all of us, God's storehouse of grace and peace is full. Tonight, believer, I'm going to give you the opportunity to worship God in just a moment. We'll have a brief invitation give you the opportunity maybe to come to an altar and just thank God for these two priceless gifts. Maybe tonight you're recognizing that it's been a roller coaster ride. Even in the last week or two, you've been all over the place in your mind, all over the place in your spirit. Your soul's been troubled. You've had restless nights. You're anxious about the future. The world scene is greatly troubling to you. You know, I found this. I can watch news and it never brings grace and peace. But if I substitute time here, you know what I find God brings to my heart? Grace and peace. Your